and welcome to a special supplemental edition of Spotlight. We haven't done one of these for a little while, but we're back now. We're going to keep them semi-regular uh, for a little while after this one, we promise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but the episode today uh, is about the music of track. Which you'll know by the episode description uh, you've downloaded. Yes, yeah, indeed, <laughs> indeed you will, hopefully. Unless you subscribe, these just pop straight into That's your surprise, yeah. uh, feed and obviously you listen straight away without even looking at yeah. the description because you're so excited. In these supplemental episodes, what we tend to do is concentrate on a particular theme in relation to Star Trek. We've talked about comedy in our previous episode. Um, now, as I say, we're going to concentrate on the music which is quite wide ranging uh, music has always played a huge part in Star Trek um, obviously this is Spotlight the Star Trek podcast from the perspective of a group of non-Trekkies uh, and from our viewings of the movies so far this is something that's really stood out for us as you probably heard listening to our previous episodes essaying the films thus far um, we've got a special guest with us today uh, who knows a thing or two about film composing. I'm going to let Matt introduce him. Yes, we're joined today by Adam Langston, who's a good friend and colleague of mine. So he's a composer, musician, orchestrator, all things music, and he uh, composes scores for many of my old short films and, uh, and one play as well. So we've kind of collaborated a few times and um, I think maybe about four films, but I don't think I met him until after maybe the fourth one because the nature of these films to begin with, they were mostly all 48 hour short deadline things. So I'd, we, you know, me and the director would send off the film with about eight hours to go and then boom, like magic, a score would be attached. And uh, yeah, I think it was many years later that we actually um, got to see each other which was great and uh, yeah he's joining us today hi i do i i think i remember our first meeting it was in hammersmith station hammersmith, it? Yeah. yeah with christian james um and that must have been yeah i'm not sure after after which project that was but yeah uh, i'm not sure it's definitely it might have been after all the 48 hours but then right. we, we had uh, the goblin film and the play to come as well oh yes but i remember i was meeting christian it's all coming back i randomly me. had a chance to meet him while he was in town and he said oh as it happens i'm meeting uh, our good composer here at the same time if you want to hang around so i was like yeah nice yeah well, adam right, was talking yeah. a minute ago before we started recording about you the fact you've just come off a two-day like real rush job of a project where you've completed something within a very short space of time so it's like you got previous in this regard i hadn't realized that you've done the 48 hour thing so is, is that kind of how you sharpen your skills what the four, yeah the 48 hours i suppose they are a good uh, they are a good um practice for that yes i think deadlines generally can be pretty short um with i think or maybe all post-production schedules are shorter now than they once were um but yeah the fact that music can be changed the edit can be changed at the last minute therefore music requirements can change um, does does mean that yeah a lot of stuff has to be done very quickly and so would you say that you're kind of most of the time you're working on sort of the very end of the post-production process and it's it's sort of the print's pretty much locked but you're kind of making a few last minute changes and that kind of thing you're working through the whole of that kind of I think it would process. depend on the film I think the, the usually um either as a composer or as on, when you're on the music team, yes, you're towards the end. Unless it's something where you're doing pre-records mm. for, for when they're shooting the film. Um, we recently did that on a, a film called The Promise, a Christian Bale film, it was just, which was about the Armenian oh, genocide. Yeah. Yeah. And we had to record some stuff which is going to be played in the, sort of, in the bars and things and various, various pieces of music that they would use on set. It was actually played live. Yeah. We record it and then they mime to it. I think is the idea. So, right. but so, it, so that when they are miming to it, it looks it looks what, like what you're going to hear. Um, because this is something that I'm interested in. Obviously, you've composed uh, pieces for uh, maps, short films, and, and many other things. Um, but I get the impression that your your main role currently is what is known as an orchestrator, is that right? Yes, that's right. I do a lot of um, of that work as well, yeah. So can you explain to us exactly what that is? Yeah, it's, it kind of changes on every project, but the okay. idea is is that you, you get the music from the composer in whatever form that's in. Usually they'll have made um, 
a mock-up, like a demo of it, right. to play, to get it approved, signed off by director, producers and people. Mm. And you take that and you need to sort of realise it for a group of musicians. In other words, make it playable, make it work for a live orchestra or whatever ensemble of musicians or singers they're going to record it with. Right, okay. Yeah, let's explain a bit more. Uh, <laughs> is it like doing the real kind of nitty-gritty between what they first That's send right. you to what ends up... Yeah, it, is, it, it seems like you're doing the finding of what it is in, in trying to play it and get it together, and then they come back to it and yeah, say... Yeah, it must change quite a lot, because if they're literally just composing onto a kind of, like you say, like a demo kind of thing, like this is, this is the score kind of, and obviously I presume... That's kind of created at home with their own instruments and on computers and stuff, and then they give it to you to actually go. Well, now an actual orchestra needs to do this, and you're kind of separating it out for all the different pieces. That's so. right. It's, it, it is a lot. Of, it's a case of distributing the notes to these musicians, and you think what's going to sound best with each player. So, what are the ranges of the instruments? Where will they sound nice, or if you want them to sound nasty, whatever. What's whatever's appropriate for this piece of music, this cue, you need to. Um, try and yeah get that get that effect when i say realize i mean make you know like make real mm. yeah, yeah, yeah i don't mean like you know, you know our you know sort of we're big movie fans and sort of our impression of like you know movie composers they are there literally conducting an orchestra and that's not often the case is it a lot of the sort no. of movie composers they are doing it at this point and then handing it to sort of people like yourself to kind of then sort of conform that to the final picture and yes. sort of arrange that like uh, you know not just the musicians but also kind of then the music editing side does, does that come into it? The, there's a music editor which is another very important job which is like you say conforming music the composer's already written to picture changes yeah. um, which might mean taking out a bar here or you know do it, maybe even adding some something to smooth over and edit things like that yeah, um, yeah there's a lot of moving parts really and um it's, yeah, that's the reason, is that the composer needs to... You know, it's, it, you can't really do everything yourself in a situation like that. No. So it's often a time reason that you need people to orchestrate it um, and conduct it. I mean, then the composer's probably going to be there at the session, but conducting, again, it's a separate skill, and there are people who mm. do that solely like for their whole mm. lives, and they're probably going to have a better idea of what the orchestra needs to... what information they need to get this recording done quickly or yeah. you know in the right way it, but yeah the sensibility of a composer that is going to be completely different to what's required in that moment in the heat of the moment in terms of like deadline looming and you know you can't have somebody potentially who's maybe a little bit precious about every last note they need somebody who's kind of like thinking completely about the picture and the final version isn't it uh, and also taking account like the barrage of sound effects that are going to be layered on there too I suppose that does that how much does the sound design department kind of like influence what you do I think you you don't really hear the final sound mix until they do get to the mix. So I think you would probably do as much, give everything to the music, and then accept that some of it is going to be dipped down, yeah, um, and sound design is going to take over. Yeah. Or sometimes you record the music in what's called stems or splits, so that you can record maybe the percussion in a separate part, so that if it's too loud, they can take it out without turning yeah. the entire music track down. That's good. Or one. you can bring things up. Um, yeah, so that does all come into it. Um, when you're recording, I think what, at each stage, you kind of, you want to make it the best thing it can be. So you just get a fantastic recording, regardless of that, you know, they might not use it or, you know. Um, and when it comes to orchestration, you you just want, you just want um to make it exactly right for these musicians and to think about, yeah, nitty gritty, like you say, it's very, it's sort of um, the, the fine details, again, some of which may not be noticed by the average film watcher, but I think that's the case with a lot of things. You know, when you look yeah. at amazing sets or mm. production design, you yeah, think so much, so much effort's in. gone in, and yet yeah. most people are never going to notice costumes. I, I always go back to this thing for Blade Runner, everybody's got fired a guy for bringing the wrong thermos flask, like for the, um, for the set in um, the first scene of that film and uh, they only like had one to choose from and like really got no you bring you need to bring every thermos flask ever and like make a decision. It's like, what I thought you might like this one and it's like, you're fired <laughs> <laughs> So we're just like it's like but there's like who noticed the thermos flask? Some guys like, you know, on job seekers allowance. Has there been a particular like heartbreak of yours where some certain bit of music you've been really proud of has been changed or ordered in a way out of your control or I can't think no when you ask me that question I think of an early of an early experience when it was the opposite and I was like mm. I'm going to add one thing to this it was in a film called 
10,000 BC, I think I put a xylophone on something, mm-hmm. which and I was quite, you know, that was a few years ago, so you wouldn't necessarily do that, but it just seemed to fit in the piece, and it was in this scene where there's like these giant birds chasing them, and I could actually hear it in the cinema. I was like, wow, that's really cool, you know. Yeah, that little thing, xylophone. But if you ask about negative um, experiences, no, I can't. I can't remember any. Oh, I thought um, you were going to say there that like oh, I, off I, air, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like I put something in and then realised afterwards, oh no, that was terrible, and then they taken it out, and you're like, oh, phew, dodge that bullet. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing because, like you say, with, with the orchestration, you're taking something and potentially. Realising it, it, yeah. <laughs> it, well, it in quite a different way. It's obviously going to sound very different from the original demo, presumably. Well, no, what you want to do, as technology comes on, as technology you know, advances, mm. you can make your demo sound more and more realistic. Right, and the idea is... computers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you use samples, virtual instruments and things. And the idea, or the ideal, I think, is for the the director to have approved the demo and then he knows that that's what he's going to get right. the performance will be better and they'll bring the humanity to it and feeling and emotion and stuff that's the they sort of bring the heart to it but life into it yeah, yeah. but the but you're not going to change the, the chords or the, or the melody because that's all going to have been hopefully tailored perfectly to the right film. okay yeah I mean that's the thing like you say I suppose like you said, virtual instruments so you can really make it sound like pretty much the actual thing just without quite Perhaps uh, without kind of quite depth to it, mm. kind of thing. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. Finally, I just, about this section, I'm really fascinated. Kind of with the first point of time, as somebody who's composing the score, they're going by a rough cut that they've been given at home. Would you would you imagine is that how it works? And then they kind of are they writing sheet music a lot of the time, and then to produce this demo like how is it that people kind of work these days in terms of getting it to you you don't need you know the sheet music is really the job of the orchestrator that's kind of one of the main things so it won't really have been generally it won't have been a thing written out because the virtual demos you sort of mm. use a keyboard you play it record it yeah um, you, you know a lot of composers probably are thinking about the written notes and a lot of them probably aren't but you don't need to I think at that stage it's more about the feeling of it and the tone of it and mm. is it fitting is it telling the story and is it just exactly right? Because very small changes can make a very big difference as well. And so your, your, one of your, your responsibilities is writing the sheet music to something you've listened to, and so you can kind of yeah. hear that and just can write that out. That's Yes, but actually, you don't even need to... When they've, um, their demo will, will kind of, can be sent to you in the form of a MIDI file, which has all the information there. It tells you what notes they've played, right. how long they are, how loud they are. So it's really, you've got to interpret that, and um, it's a lot of it is through, you know, the more you do it, the more you realise what, what a real orchestra, how they behave, how they sound, and how they work together. Mm. And so you, oftentimes it's a case of what can I, the demo can sound so huge, because you, you're, you're, you're unlimited when you're at that stage. You can just right. go, right, I want 100 strings, boom, and then want <laughs> loads of drums and loads yeah. of brass, and then you get, and then when you re- record the real orchestra, it's not going to be that that size that many um, instruments so it's a case of just having it and having it balanced and like I say you sort of just zo- you focus on that and you go when they sit there tomorrow morning mm-hmm. how are we going to make this sound good so as big as it the director doesn't the page, yeah. yeah so they don't go the demo sounds better yeah that's we've wasted it's like <laughs> we've got full orchestra and it sounds thinner than the demo that's yeah. not what you want to hear back um, no. how big do uh, uh, orchestra people involved how many people does it tend to go up to like how many with people these, with the big yeah. movies the big movies would, would have maybe 90 or it, it does go above that 100 or mm-hmm. even more but um, yeah 90 or 100 players will sound really big one of the uh, your latest projects uh, Alien Covenant actually in some kind of funny way is actually related to what we're here to talk about today yes I thought that because there's the Jerry Goldsmith connection isn't there absolutely oh, yeah. yeah so if you tell us a bit about that what you were working on that particular part of that project uh, so yeah on Alien Covenant um that that was another um, orchestration job, and the idea initially, I think the idea was to use a lot of the Jerry Goldsmith um, material in the score, and perhaps as they went on, it got less. Uh, but I'm not totally sure about that. But yeah, a lot of at first, I was um, you, just basically orchestrating the, the, some the Jerry Goldsmith theme um, for our new for our for our our orchestra, and that was going in. 
there were some places near the start of the film and near the end of the film where that went in. And after that, it was um, I was orchestrating Jed Kurzel's uh, music as well, so his original cues that he'd done. Um, it was fantastic, though, a fantastic uh, thing to do. Really good. Um, two orchestra, two different orchestras were used. Great music production team all round. Yeah, it was it was it was uh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Was, was that uh, Assassin's Creed, the Jed Kurzel one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, he did that score. Yeah. 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 But he, what, he also did the score to Alien Covenant. Yes. Oh, he did, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so you, so you, uh, I assume they got permission from the Goldsmith estate to kind of like use the music. Unlike Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> with the, with the, what's the use? Air Force One. Yeah, like who does without any permission whatsoever. Yeah. And so did... Um, who was before him, John McCain? I yeah, remember he used to walk onto that. Yeah. Well, there's been a lot of hoo-ha with Trump using um, people's music without permission and stuff like that. And there's kind of ways around it, apparently, loopholes they give that he can do it. Um, but yeah, just <laughs> before we move on to uh, Star Trek, I just wanted to ask about kind of you know, just a basic thing as a your kind of best experience as a composer and then perhaps as an orchestrator, as they are kind of two separate things. It's one of the things that fun about both the orchestration and, compo- and can be composing is, is the fact that you're using an orchestra that's really cool and sometimes you get to do you know if you're orchestrating on a music team you might get a little bit of composing to do and I remember I got to do some on this um, uh, arena show uh, Walking with Dinosaurs just to write a cue for um, the breaking up of Angier continents into um, you know into the continents we have today really good because that was a chance to write something and have the big orchestra play it and it's something you've um, been asked to write as opposed to um, arranging someone else's music and also but I have to say though actually as as a film composer it's really good when you get any any good project to work on um, you know regardless of whether you're writing for an orchestra or a guitar or a piano or you know just synths or anything so some of the best experiences really are um, just working with directors on good projects and you know you know how much the music can add to scenes and when you do that and it's, it's successful that's really good so um, a lot of the time the satisfaction also can be when you've when you finally get find a solution to something which you haven't so far so I remember this a film directed by Christian James called Stalled and we needed a sort of hero rising theme for the end of uh, when our character sort of finally makes it out of his uh, zombie situation he's in. And, yeah, you know, when you, I did about five versions and then in the end, uh, the fifth one was, was the right one. feeling when you you know when you write your first one you don't think that this is this is wrong you think that's the one and then you get some feedback and you discuss it and when you finally get to a point where you've where you where you sort of you think you've nailed it or you've done the best you can then that's good and actually remind that reminds me of the end credits as well for that film i did about 13 versions (laughs) until i got close to you know what he what, what the director was after
so yeah, I think it's... It's about the seventh rate when you're like, you're a bastard, just like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why am I still doing this? Yeah. yeah. But then you were up it's like when you kind of got to the 13th and it's the right one, it's like, mm, yeah, though it was good to keep pushing. Like, yes, mm. it's great because you always, unless you unless you actually personally think that that's worse than what you than what you started with, but yeah. that's hasn't happened with me, so that's uh, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's it's um it is, it is it's that finding the key to it all because you know when you start and there's nothing there, it kind of could be it could be anything you, the music you put on this film, and so when you whittle it down and you finally find um you know the right the right direction, that's uh, mm. that's really good. Do you know Matt was in that film? Uh, I probably I'm, do know I, that. I'm in that, I'm in that <laughs> scene. You're a zombie, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I'm one of the zombies who attacked Dan as he's running out of that toilet. So uh, yeah, I'm yeah. on screen to that theme. Which Excellent. Is <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, all the projects you composed for Matt were I incredible must, experiences. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> I must be involved in all. <laughs> but we are here today primarily to talk about the music of Star Trek um, as we said but you know we've got a legit guest with real bona fides right here uh, to give his opinion on that I mean obviously if you look at Star Trek the composers who have worked on this I mean Goldsmith Horner Rosenman. <laughs> they're, the, they're the big names in film composing. Sure I mean, in all seriousness, though, someone like Jerry Goldsmith, James Horner, I've got to assume that these people may be some influence to you. Of course, yeah. I mean, they're, they're the composers who I sort of grew up listening, you know, when I was getting into film music or even just getting to when you start listening to music. And, um, you know, and like your mates are listening to bands and stuff. And I was listening to, yeah, James Horner, Jerry Goldsmith, John Williams, and Hans Zimmer. Um, I was just thinking today, the only time I've been told to turn the music down was Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs> <laughs> Keep like, it down. It's like there were no metal bands upstairs. Like, uh, oh, even now, it's like it was Jerry Goldsmith. It's such a motion picture score. <laughs> it was exactly that. Just like, they, I, I remember his exact words, like, what is that dirge? The <laughs> 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 kids listening to these days. Yeah. 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 I remember listening to the rock score by Hans Zimmer and being, yeah. being told it sounds like the apocalypse is happening. <laughs> yeah. So, they, I mean, obviously, I would imagine the score to Aliens probably a big one for you as you were talking about Alien Covenant earlier. Alien, the first Alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's, but it's quite um, dissonant and quiet. It's not like the most accessible um, music, is it? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I wouldn't find myself listening to some of the tracks from it on it on their own. I think that's the thing. It works so well with the film yeah. itself. Uh, the only kind of like big soaring kind of like orchestral bit is called the landing. Sort of when the ship is uh, detaching, coming down to land. That that music there is sort yes. of a visit. Um, um, I think um, as I uh, yeah, hopefully our tastes are expanding all the time. And now I would listen to stuff which I wouldn't have liked as a youngster. Yes. So now I would listen to Alien, and I'm very interested by it. But but. Back then, um, Aliens, I would I remember liking the James Horner one because again it was a bit more um, bit straight ahead, yeah, yeah, propulsive and not so, you know, her- horrific. I think from your comments what we're discovering here is simply there is no comparison to the Jerry Goldson score <laughs> or Star Trek the Mission Picture. Is that all I'm saying? <laughs> the uh, brilliance of I mean that that score. Is something special, right? Yeah, it's fantastic, well, and the way it, how much it adds to the film as well. I mean, if it didn't have those great themes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the movie is that score. Discussed, I yeah. mean, obviously, yeah. we talked about this in our first ever episode where we talked about the Star Trek motion picture, and I think the thing we all walked away from that film was without that score, as you say, that movie would be a bore snort. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I would still defend. Yeah, them, but, uh, yeah. You but would. I do feel like it's, it's a unique among not just the Star Trek films, but in big budget Hollywood films in general, because they were so excited about these prospects of these very long effect sequences that Goldsmith was at before the opportunity to actually compose very five minute pieces, which is very indulgent for any mm. kind of like act, presumed action film like this. Uh, you know, action very film. little action film, yeah, in it. But you know, we're talking <laughs> about it was plenty of time to film. <laughs> yeah, like tracks like The Cloud, which is like their journey into it. And it's it becomes like a, you know, a big piece of like what music, you know, it's just that's all that's kind of driving it. There's no dialogue for stretches. Yeah, yeah like a silent movie, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it does start with the overture as well, doesn't it? Yeah.
Yeah. So it has this kind of classicism of like, you know, the what was the roadshow pictures of the 60s, you know, where you had have a publisher and an intermission. It's kind of like over 10 years since that was a, the, the thing and they brought it back for this film just to kind of add to that majesty. I think, I don't know if that was an idea to add, but once they got the scores, like, this is so good, we just got to put more of it over black at the beginning, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Do you long for those days, Alan, the days of the overture? Well, I mean, I, I think, yeah, nowadays composers would be happy if they got that length of time to actually have a, <laughs> yeah. play a theme, even, you know, yeah. or write a theme which is that long, which is more than, uh, you know. Oh, nothing but pie. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it was uh, Hateful Eight being the last one, really, the last Mon one, yep. to have the yeah, whole overture of thing, course, and intermission yeah. music. They did well, well, on the road show screen, oh, the road show, yeah, yeah. not yeah. I was I was a little bit down, down that there wasn't much, there wasn't a... Um, what do you call the the word that where it comes back after intermission and it plays music going there? Is it entracte? Entract. Entract. Yeah. And the, there was no entract. Mm. For, I was like, why did I not? Have, <laughs> I want more music. <laughs> um, that's Morricone, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was. you, again, he's a great composer who you would want as much music oh. as as possible in your. Well, the thing is, there's not. It's quite amazing. He won like, the best original score for the first time in his career, but there isn't that much original score in it. And I think that perhaps they've forgotten the rules a little bit because there's been other great scores re- rejected because of pre-existing material. And a lot of the hateful eight were going way off mm, topic. But... It's got white stripes and uh, well, the song that Kurt Russell plays. Yeah, that she sings. I mean, there's other yeah, things, but it's actually the thing outtakes. Oh yeah, oh, which is really interesting. Yeah, that's also Morricone, so it's still his. Yeah, it hasn't been released, but it wasn't a poster. I don't know if there was a. That's a. Yeah, maybe that's a kind of weird loophole. But wait, was that the first ever Academy Award Morricone won, other than an honorary one for like just being alive for? So it's come after the honorary. That doesn't show that the Oscars are complete sham. (laughs) How could the mission not not win an Oscar? No. Yeah. Uh, Well, once upon a time in America, probably would have won, but somebody forgot to put the paperwork in. What? Yeah, that's right. The studio forgot to put the paperwork into the academy to say can you consider this film score someone got fired over that yeah. like, I mean, what uh, Morricone to me is like the greatest film composer of all time like you know uh, just apart from any film composer who ever works on a Star Trek film obviously like, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, maybe they looked over the slightly bent rules just to give it to him now in I case so. he pops his film well it's that classic you know line from um, Peter O'Toole who just like you know refused an honorary Oscar for a couple of years because I always want to bring the bugger out right <laughs> <laughs> One thing I did find interesting, looking over the composers who have worked on Star Trek films previously, is that Goldsmith is is basically the only one who had a really significant career beforehand. There were other people who were obviously working for a while beforehand, stuff like that, but he's the one who had big scores to his name already, worked on the Planet of the Apes films, Patton, Papillion, Chinatown, The Omen, like, you know, so these are big movies, um, and then obviously got hired for this because they obviously wanted something, you know, big for the film, um, and they couldn't afford John Williams, obviously, so they went next down to Goldsmith. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Do you consider Goldsmith? Oh, no, I think it's, 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 they're pretty much like whatever you're listening yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, it's not, so you can't really pick a favourite. Yeah, there I is think no so. comparison. Um, but all of the other uh, composers who worked on it, I mean, even someone like James Horner, who obviously went on to become huge, huge yeah, very early um, he was, was 28, really, 28 years old. When wow. Yeah, really early in his career. He'd only started working in like the late 70s. I was actually looking before this. He did a film called Battle Beyond the Stars, yeah. which I thought may have been why he was high. But obviously, Rafa Khan was made on a small budget for the time. They really cut it low, so they must have been thinking, we've got to keep prices down. Yeah. Can't get Goldsmith again. <laughs> like, you know, we've got to get a new young buck to try and... And they paid off. Yeah. Mm. But it is. It launched his career, absolutely, I think. Um, oh, yeah, I mean... And it's... But it's such a hard act to follow in terms of, you know, I think he was told by Nick Smyre just ignore what anything that he did in that just composed completely original we don't want to use any track music we're going to reuse a lot of effect shots because they're very expensive <laughs> but we don't, we're not going to use a single note so completely do your own thing but I think he makes it his own right well, from the I, opening I, thing I think even the opening bit before the when the Paramount logo comes up and there's actually a longer Starfield shot than there would be normally now there'd be like Paramount pictures it's about 10 seconds before anything comes up that is almost his mini overture for that 
And yeah. I think it's, that might be another thing that was just added after the fact to say, you know, oh, you've fucking knocked out of the park. We're going to give you 10 seconds yeah. to yourself. 10 seconds would be a long time if yeah. you've got someone to prove. So. Yeah. Are, you, are you, I mean, this is one thing we actually haven't talked about with you, Adam, which we usually do with our guests, is Starship Credentials. Because obviously we're viewing these films as a trio of kind of non-Trekkies with varying different degrees of knowledge. Uh, Matt hadn't seen any of the films before we started, apart from the brand new JJ ones. Um, kind of, where do you stand on Star Trek? Like, what, what kind of have you seen? Are you into it? Um, I've, I've, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm about the right credentials probably for this show because I don't really, I've seen, you know, I don't think I've seen the first one. I've probably seen bits of lots of them. I don't think I've seen any of three. Yeah, you know, Star Trek First Contact I saw in the cinema and loved. Yes. Because it's brilliant. It is amazing, yeah. That's the only one I saw in the cinema, I think. Um, oh no, I saw the first, I saw the, the Star Trek J.J. Abrams one. Um, and I like that. I didn't see the Into Darkness. Um, I recently watched Star Trek Beyond. Um, so my credentials are, yeah, they're kind of average, you know, definitely. That is, that is the average movie goer, I think. Yeah, like I would say so. Yeah. You've seen it, you've dropped in occasionally, but you're not, like, you know, picking up for the, going to every single one. Yeah, yeah no. picking up for the big new Picard one with First Contact and then the reboot, pulling you in like it did. Did you me. watch it on TV? Um, no, funny enough, more recently I've been watching it, um, oh, okay. and I, I do think it's really good. I think it's more more interesting than um, Star Wars. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, I like. I definitely, I definitely like the, the next generation. Actually, I think. But I think Star Trek TV is better than Star Wars TV. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> but and I remember, it's just more interesting to me now as an adult. I think than it was there then. It's a yeah, lot of talking and just. Because they, they, they do touch on interesting things, don't they? Like philosophical questions and what society could be like in the future. Mm. And then when you know, when I was younger, I just it kind of well, I didn't find it that didn't engage with me really or connect with it. But now uh, I do. But, I, but yeah, it's probably only that next generation one is mm. one I've seen. I, rem- I mean, I've seen some Voyager, um, which I did quite like. But great theme. Great, oh, brilliant, Jerry Goldsmith theme. Oh, I love that. I like yeah. it more than I like it much more than the Next Generation theme. Yeah, I mean, it's... because that's like a sped up version of the motion picture, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of, it kind of it, what did you say? It's, it's kind of a thinner version. Well, I think it's just like it just real straight to TV. Yeah. yeah, I think it's. I don't know why they would have done that, but I think it's just because they they thought it may be over bear, a bit overbearing for a TV show to have the full orchestra version. Yeah, maybe. But it does it go to well, no, I would think it's a budget budget consideration, isn't it? Yeah, because, but it's but if the if the music, music exists and you can just track it over, why not do that? Well, I think they'd have to. Oh, for oh, for royalties. I think they'd have to make payments to the musicians uh, who played yeah. on it. Or and if it's a syndicated show, maybe there's a new deal they had. Yeah, 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 yeah. It will be money. Yeah, yeah they get paid yeah, yeah. every time. So they rearrange because a similar thing happened with the Batman animated series, where that kind of uses the Danny Elfman theme, but it's like re-recorded and done for the show. And I think it's yeah. got to and be Don something Davis to that. Don Stargate, like TV show, well, he took David Arnold's theme, I think, and did the. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So it's obviously a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if I'm correctly saying it's sped up for the TV show. Actually, I think it's, it? it's being sped up. It just, it just. I mean, it hasn't been played. Fast, I, I was, I was confused at the midi version of like uh, the <laughs> from the motion picture that's, that's not because it is real players like I remember someone uh, hearing someone having the TV theme tune on their phone kind of like and this was in like the early noughties well it's like something. a ringtone yeah and it sounded like totally exactly like this TV show so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Deep Space Nine has a good theme as well yeah and no, I know it, does, yeah. it feels because it's quite still isn't it and I noticed yeah. it's like it's good for just a space station which hangs there in the air and doesn't move <laughs> you're exactly right yeah it, yeah it totally has that feel that actual score I don't know who did the theme Dennis for Deep McCarthy. Space Not, oh, okay Desmond who also did the score to Star Trek Generations which Again, I, I like that theme as well. Yeah, that's really a good, heroic. Good score. Massive, yeah, really, really good. Um, but yeah, you're, you're exactly right, isn't it? Kind of the music feels like it's hanging just suspended in space. Yeah. It doesn't feel kind of as it's, majestic. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, no, it's significantly, just lots of panning shots over a lovely model. Uh, yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it's just like it's just moving with the camera the music was good like it's yeah but it, yeah. it stays up when the bass note moves at the end just to get a bit technical it, you really like you really feel it because it's been just ha- hanging there on this one note mm. then as it you know the final bit of the theme kind of bit rises doesn't it it's really good does the camera pan up at that moment I don't know <laughs> everything up it's weird how these huge majestic themes have become a calling card of the Star Trek franchise when actually all that kind of really only started with the first movie. Yeah. If we look back at the TV series, Latin Yeah, that's not really quite how we think of Star Trek music now, is it? It's a very different uh, kind of thing. I guess maybe they were try. That's what they were quite trying to recapture for Enterprise. <laughs> with, uh, I think Ross gave us a lovely rendition of our Star Trek Insurrection episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's of its time, isn't it? That music. It kind of sounds like yes. a sixties or seventies TV. The score. Yeah, yeah, it does. I say that without. And the sexual politics. (laughs) (laughs) And they, of course, reprised it for the end credits of the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek. And and all of them. Um, Uh, It is going to be really interesting to see what the Discovery theme tune is like, which way they go. Do you, do we know who's I, on, I, on this? I haven't. I don't know. I don't know if they've said yet. But is it you, Adam? It's going to be an It's not. But if it was, I probably couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> That's of course assuming that it's going to have opening titles. Like you know, so much TV these days kind of cut straight to it. But I'd imagine yeah, out of true. tradition, they'd have to have something like I don't know. They've got. Yeah. yeah no, they've got a big big theme for yeah. Discovery. That sounds like another majestic kind of uh, score. But I mean, looking at these scores over the like films obviously you haven't heard them all Adam kind of thing but do any of them stand out obviously people like Jerry Gosler James Horner are going to be influences on anyone kind of like film composing mm. but do these scores stand out to you as like you know particularly um, effective or yeah I mean I I am a big Jerry Goldsmith fan so I've I've, I've listened to I think all of them I don't think I've seen Star Trek V but I've got the got CD score. I really like it I, lo- I love his themes and um, you know his orchestration and everything and um, yeah they do they do stand out and it's interesting that when you've, got, when you've got a composer like him who's got quite a strong voice you can kind of relate it to when you listen to other music by him you can kind of hear it all sounds like the same composer even though Star Trek is very much its own thing and its own world and sound which he's kind of which he's kind of created for the movies hasn't he you know his style you can as I say I was, uh, the film I just sort of picked up was Sleeping with the Enemy just and it just but his his style is there and it's kind of like that mix of big orchestra but also a bit you know trying the, the electronic frontier yes. is, is kind of there as well he blends the two so well better than anybody I can think I could name and as he does in the in the Star Trek scores as well yeah you know first well, in the first that motion picture starts with almost electronic is it a blaster beam sound effect yeah. it would have been its first big screen use I imagine I think it's been used subsequently maybe in um, Malik's Red Line yes that's right yeah yeah and that is a real instrument I mean that's not a mm. synth isn't it you've probably yeah. seen it it's, yeah, like... it's very long right yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but we should talk about I mean obviously Goldsmith and Horner are, are gonna kind of dominate a lot of discussion about the Star Trek film scores I think because I mean Goldsmith composed five of the films and you know Horner I think you know, because he's synonymous with Rafa Khan which is often considered to be kind of you know classic of the franchise it kind of you know uh, permeates but there were other composers who worked on the films as well uh, Leonard Rosenman as I was mentioning slightly jokingly earlier uh, composed Star Trek for The Voyage Home um, I'm not a huge fan of this score I've got to say I think straight from the opening theme it comes across as kind of well overly naval um, in the sense of obviously yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you know, the Star Trek's always kind of had this Navy influence, but I think that his score takes it way too literally to the point of becoming comedic. It's a funny film, Voyage Home. I was going to say, is it not a comedy it, it adventure? Is, but I kind film. of feel his score almost kind of over-eggs that too much, kind of overplays its cards. I think he... he uh, I mean, possibly, yeah, he had a high opinion, a higher opinion of him and his music than maybe... The, the, the certain film, <laughs> 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 certain filmmakers, did. Um, and he, um, 
you know, he was quite a well. He he scored. Uh, like Rebel without a cause. Yeah, and he's Sweden. Yeah, so James Dean's main man. Like, so he was very, you know, he's a well-respected composer. Mm. Also, I think he was quite a well-respected uh, concert composer as well, outside of film. Right. And perhaps sometimes that can can cause a bit of a a bit of a clash of, of something, yeah. Because you kind thing. of have to try and leave your ego at the door. I think mm. when you're doing a film and and you know just just try and serve that. And I think well, yeah, you say a concert composer is a presence. It's somebody who's up there on the podium in front of the people, takes a bow. That's kind of like sometimes a bit. Yeah, and you're there that. only for their music. Yeah, in, yeah. in a film, you're a kind of more right. of a supporting role. Mm. Mm. He had a style which he which you would get him to he wouldn't really change that according to the film so maybe the, you needed to find the, the films which yeah. were going to well he also as we found out he wouldn't change the music depending on the film either because it was the same score from the Lord of the Rings <laughs> that's right there's a yeah. remarkable yeah. similarity between the, the yeah. part of the Star Trek Boar theme and part of the uh, Lord of the Rings theme oh really is that yeah. right yeah. Yeah. this Frodo's is the March, animated yeah. Lord of the Rings I should point out and I think there's uh, I mean we didn't we listened to a lot with the Robocop 2 main title today and it's just like there was such a good score done for the first one yeah it's great Basil Paul Dar us, yeah. uh, did yeah. the first score for Ocot, and I, I, it's great. I've got it on yeah. my phone. The second right. one is great theme as well. A mess, uh, but I'm pretty sure if I let it carry on any longer, but her ears are bleeding. Um, <laughs> there was a there was a quote from Four Voyage Home theme as well. I think it's da 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 da. That bit is in Robocop Two as well. Like, yeah, for a little bit, just using the same score. Just let you guys hear this again. All of it's so good. <laughs> um, but yeah I think he's just had a bit of a, I, I think it, he I seem to remember you saying he compared himself to John Williams uh, yeah see it, when, it, when, it it when, it, when he says I don't want to be disparaging of John Williams but you think <laughs> oh, <I don't> <laughs> how are you going to end that sentence and he was, I think the idea was he was just saying that um, Star Trek 4 only has about 30 minutes of music and he was saying well Star, yeah, Star Wars has two hours but I can only remember two bits of it or something like that um, so he's basically saying I've only produced 30 minutes of music but it's all memorable uh, yeah it's every <laughs> it's minute amazing. of that is <laughs> even though it's reused <laughs> everywhere <laughs> that's why he's reusing it because it's, so, it's good. so good it needs to be heard again um, but there are other composers who worked on the franchise as well Cliff Eidelman yeah. uh, was, was he the really young guy yeah for the, uh, for the Undiscovered Country mm. um, he'd been a composer since like the late 80s um, with, so 1991 Undiscovered Country I I think probably a similar situation as Rafa Khan where they had to set a chance on a younger composer well it was because Goldsmith wouldn't come back initially he right. was asked but he, um, he he was a bit burnt by the Far reception Frontier. for Far and Frontier and so he kind of like gave it a little yeah. wide berth for that one but it's great one of the stand-up things of Six is the music and yeah I really like it cool, and right. I think the, again it's an overture more than a main title that, that, that first track leading up to the explosion of the planet you know it's incredible bombastic and I think you know people were were you know tentative about this film going in we always joked about like it, oh, I'm going to see Star Trek 6 tonight and so, you know how sad does that sound but, but you know I feel like I feel like no I can't my money's worth it already this is going to be great There's some great, really intense <laughs> music uh, towards the end in part of the final action set piece, isn't there? But that's what really I put down here. Well, this, my list of kind of like standout tracks from these wow. albums is, is uh, sorry, they've got the Battle for Peace, which is about an eight minute cue, uh, which covers the whole Battle of Kitama end of the film culminating in some in a, in a brilliant bit that accompanies Kirk's fist pump fire, which is alluded to many times. So yeah, I mean, I I thought that score was very. Cliff Eidelman is that this a name that rings a bell for you? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, of yeah, course. Yeah. I mean, for that for that for that score. Oh, Cliffy! <laughs> Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, big fan. Uh, yeah, I, I I didn't hear that, but you know, I, I did listen to Free Willy Hood of the Traveling Pants too, which is a Rachel Portman score because I was um, preparing to do some work with her. So I thought I went on Spotify and I oh, found wow. that. But I I think I knew he did the first one. Yeah, it's in, you know he was he must have. Like what a great opportunity for a young guy like that yeah. to get this stuff big Star franchise movie, big franchise mm, and yeah. Um, yeah I thought that the opening title was really good really bold and they obviously decided we're going to go in a slightly you know darker or different direction yeah. with it yeah um, for that piece yeah uh, we talked about Dennis McCarthy before obviously um, yeah I think like you say just Star Trek really, veteran I think yeah, yeah yes he, he really that was basically you know why he was chosen I think he 
you look, he's worked on all the Star Trek TV series, like all of the later ones, I believe. Yeah, that's right. So Next Gen and, uh, and, and Deep Space Nine. And I think it's a, a great thing because it doesn't sound like TV. No, it's, it doesn't it really, feels like a full cinematic mm. score. Really, really big um, when they're riding together on the horses. That's brilliant, yeah. yeah that's yeah, when yeah. it gets to let, let the theme out, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's quite one of those nice themes that kind of is hinted at, like, you know, for a very few a few times before then, like, you kind of hear in pieces and then finally it there, it's unleashed. Because, yeah. you, because it opens with quite a, like, a, a choral kind of, like, um, sort of with a bomb. Very quiet, yeah, scene. Yeah. Which, um, you know, coming off the Star Trek VI bombastic opening, it's kind of like a lot more, it's a, you know, stylistic choice to do that. It's good. But, of course, the main man um, these days uh, kind of trying to supersede Goldsmith for a number of scores, I think, is Michael Giannaccio, um, <laughs> who has uh, now composed... Three uh, films uh, for Star Trek, and it's okay. Nobody knows how to say his name. So no. uh, what is that wrong? Is it? I don't know. I think it's Giacchino, but we've literally had about five. I've been saying Giacchino. Yeah. Uh, no, he, he's literally one of my favourite composers working today. Because between JJ Works and Pixar, which are two massive properties, yeah. you know his score for Lost back in the day. The yeah, TV, uh, that's one of the, the greatest score TV scores. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, mean, I, I think it is the greatest TV score in terms of an actual score and being cinematic as well, for a like, show it's incredible do you, mm. do you know that score um, uh, I, well I do it's know like some six of the seasons score. worth of it so yeah. I haven't seen the program the, so oh <sighs> man it's, it's really I mean even that's the thing whatever you think of Lost you, like you say you mm. compose a new score for like every single season mm-hmm. even though different themes were kind of reused and it's a really impressive piece must be of like work. 150 tracks or something oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think so I've got more of it is, is something insane but yeah now he's Rogue One Doctor Strange uh, the new Spider-Man which we're actually seeing tomorrow yeah Inside Out Tomorrowland Jurassic World Dawn the Party Tomorrowland like, is my favourite he's but I mean he's got to be one of the most and, in uh, demand composers working yeah. surely he's, yeah. yeah he's like top of the A-list now isn't he yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. The Incredibles the Ratatouille as well which one the Incredibles and Ratatouille is yeah, like the yeah. Brad Bird I, I th- yeah it's a great Mission uh, Impossibles yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah 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 it's a good interview with him on Malton um, it's a podcast oh okay yeah, yeah, yeah. Malton on movies he talks about uh, his like, humble beginnings doing the score for the Lost World video game huh. that's really interesting to kind of hear how somebody gets their start so it's worth a li- worth listen what was that the, the 1997 yeah, Sega Mega Drive the Sega, oh, the Sega game mm. He was orchestrating something, and then like Spielberg heard a bit of his music, and go, well, he should do the whole thing. And yes. uh, yeah, presumably he was quite young at that point. Because you, yeah, it's one of those things you didn't just use Williams's score. You know, you're writing something completely new mm. for a video game. I think you know, and funny, like he ended up doing Jurassic World, didn't he? So it all ties in. Comes around. There you yeah. go. He's taking over John Williams's things as well. Then Jurassic mm. Park and Star Wars, Star Wars yeah. and Planet of the Apes from Goldsmith. Star yeah, Trek. he's taking yeah. them all in. Wow. Suck, suck, suck. It really is. Like, uh, are, are you a fan? Are you? Or? Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. I like his music a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, I'm especially really... up is uh, the oh, ultimate. Yeah, like, as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he's like you say, he's kind of dominating, isn't he? Pixar, Disney, everything. Kind of Disney is is just everything basically these days, isn't it? Like, um, but yeah, no, I, I think he's done really well because um, he had a hard job to come in and because like you say Goldsmith's work kind of permeates throughout those first 10 films even when other composers come on and do very much their own individual themes you always kind of feel like his work has kind of an influence over them whereas Giannaccio's score um, or Giacchino's score uh, it sounds completely different. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it sounds completely different, terms. doesn't it? it? It doesn't sound like it's taken kind of any kind of influence. No, although we should remember, of course, the, that even Goldsmith, the, for the very first thing was the Alexander Courage theme. Because yes, it's no, that, sure. those four notes at the start of the theme and the old, and the fanfare. Yeah. Da, 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 all that. Yeah. Is, being, is in everything, isn't it? That's in every film. Yeah, that's very true, actually. Um, yeah. And interestingly, he. Was an orchestra. He also worked as an orchestrator for Jerry Gold- Goldsmith. Um, you know, and, late, yeah. later on. Oh and, wow! And I think he orchestrated motion picture, did he not? Because I. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure he did. He orchestrated a lot of um, Jerry Goldsmith's music. And um, yeah, because his his theme is quoted in a scene where he does the first captain's log in that film. So you do hear a reprise of mm. that uh, theme. But I think it's it's nice to kind of hear it straight from track two. It's like right over the, the, the titles as well.
thing. It's almost like how John Williams composed the Star Wars main title in the same key as the 20th Century Fox fanfare. You're composing your track theme to lead directly on from those notes. Gosmith did it for the um, for First Contact theme as well, uh, which is a lovely main title theme as well. Love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're, you're completely right. I'm so glad you've name-checked him there and we've given him credit because you're exactly right. That that opening few notes of basically, yes, yeah, set the blueprint for everything that's come after. However, you know, amazingly uh, majestic of the work that Goldsmith and Horner and people like that laid down, it, it all stems from that, doesn't it? Right. It is, and it's very, explore- you know, it's, it's evocative of exploring space and stuff, isn't it? Yeah. In the future, mm. it's less... Star Wars is very heroic, and this was a bit more tempered, isn't it? So. Yeah, I think you've got the, the majesty of space. There's a, this, a, a track on uh, Motion Picture called The, the uh, Floating Office, which is basically the camera whirls round a half-finished office for about a minute. feeling I get is when I'm reading the Star Wars Weekly comics and they're kind of these amazing um, Stan Lee space stories. Recent ones? No, these are the 70s, oh. so like, I've got a few of them and they're just like space adventure stories. Star Wars is described as um, like a western in space or something, isn't it? Yeah. Space opera? Like space opera. But it's very yeah. much western tropes, isn't it? You've got yes. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Home, so, yeah. But it's, it's more fantastical, you know, this... Mm. Star Trek feels like they've thought about what, how a real life would be. Yeah, in, that's right. In yeah, society. It, it, it's not a galaxy far. Well, it is, but it's not. But it's a, It's kind of based around Earth. And everything. I mean, mm. we've only said how many films that all roads lead to Earth in these films. They have to kind of keep putting it in there, like as a touchstone. For it's like you know, remember this planet? They were on. <laughs> yeah, it does exist, and it is. You know, we're not in fantasy land mm. so much. Mm. I wonder if there's any like YouTube recuts. If anyone's like taken Star Trek score and stuck it all over Star Wars and the other way around just to see how different that would be like imagine watching one of the Star Trek films with Star Wars score the other way around like <laughs> someone must have done that as an experiment at some point just to see what a difference that makes but it's funny because you talk about like Star Trek is a remake of A New Hope for Star Wars isn't it like sometimes people kind of make it comparing it you know it's farm boy like you know go off on, a, on an adventure and it gets like an award at the end and there's like a Death Star that can destroy planets you know, there's, there's a lot of similarities and it's almost like Force Awakens is, is, you know, it's the second time he's remade Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> but it's but I don't think the score ever feels like it's, it's cribbing too much from Williams actually it is very much his own thing and it's interesting now of course that uh, our good friend um, Michael of course he composed the score for Star Wars Rogue One now and that's interesting the fact that so he's, he's crossed been, over as well yeah he's crossed over from Star Trek um, which like he says is more measured and kind of brought that to Rogue One in a way because of course the whole point of Rogue One's score is it's a real step away from the classic mm. themes of Williams so it's not really cribbing that. Williams much in an actual Star Wars film no no not at all I mean I believe that was you know some people's I think some people took issue with the music in Rogue One because of the fact that it is so different it's far more dour in comparison with kind of Williams scores uh, which like you say are quite around well that's so. a more dour film isn't it really well so. yeah exactly exactly mm-hmm. um, and you were saying earlier weren't you Paul that we'll never get to hear the, the splat Rogue One version because yeah, yeah. he how he was working on it quite a bit before mm. he looked was that right? get yeah right? I can't remember I think it was, it was the reshoots basically that, that plagued Rogue One and like, meant that he couldn't do it in his schedule so it's that I think we just sort of alluded to like the lost scores like that we all kind of mm. wish we heard was had on display for um for a Rogue One I think you mentioned how the Sylvester Pirates of the Caribbean really that would have been good to hear yeah, wouldn't it? yeah. oh really yeah. really oh okay like uh, although I do like um, Zimmer's Which, uh, I think it's not Zimmer though we've we, we, we as well the first Curse of the Bat Pearl is like is, is Zimmer's kind of like you know his stable of musicians that kind of, he's kind of bringing up raising him in the Zimmer way uh, you know that's it's not not him he did the it's, sequel I so. think he, I oh. think he probably wrote the the themes that we know, and but he yeah, was contracting. He was doing another. Thing. He was doing the Last Samurai, I think, a different film. Dun, 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 so he couldn't dun, dun, maybe dun, dun, contractually do. Right. Pirates of the Caribbean one. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. No, because I always assumed that big theme from Pirates of the Caribbean was hit was Total Zimmer. Uh, maybe. Maybe not. Hands get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think you could safely say it is, uh, it is Zimmer. Oh, okay. The theme. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the actual theme itself we would be. We will take the insider's word on this. Yeah, I'll be all filling in the blanks. <laughs> um, 
But I mean, before we go, I was going to say, does everyone kind of have a favourite Star Trek uh, track or even soundtrack overall? First Contact, I think, off the top okay. of my head. Okay. Like this another Goldsmith one. Another Goldsmith. It's just really appealing, and it's got, you know, it's got it's got this lovely theme. So it's not just the thing is, it's not just the Star Trek traditional theme we know, is it? Mm, it's got this no. other, this other new theme. It's got action in there, and. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, I like his later ones. I know you probably don't like the films as much. He does, he does good scores for them. Mm. They are usually the, the standout parts of, of them for me. Yeah, yes, um, but, but, but first contest one where the film meets the the score. Yeah, you know, and both are, are raised their game really high. I, the, is there a particular track from first contest that kind of like a, a moment that you want to? No, it's probably the main titles because um, because I have such an interest in the, in the music and in film music then it's going to be yeah it's that because the music's just on its own yeah and uh you know in its in all its glory but, i i won't just point out there's a track for that film called not again like it's the music where he um where the part uh has his little breakdown moment smashes the glass and the music playing when he sort of realizes and sort of talks a bit of moby dick that's my standout track I've changed, I've changed my mind. <laughs> it's actually the moment where they make the first contact because that is the theme, and they, and of course, he takes his hood off and he's uh, a yeah, Vulcan. Vulcan. Yeah. yeah, that's it because that's got the all the uh, you know the theme there, but it's also just a really great moment. Emotional, like it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. the first time you can actually feel emotional, like uh, you know, actually genuinely kind of uh, touched mm. by you know the pointy ears and that kind of stuff. I feel like the way <laughs> they just set it up there and the music sells the moment because yeah. it could be very hokey if without music that particular bit, but you kind of just buy into it. I think it's the cutaway to um, Cromwell and, and Alfred Woodward holding hands at that moment as well. Very oh, you're gonna get me going. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. beautiful. I uh, I saw a few years ago. I saw like a um, sort of music of sci-fi show at the Royal Albert Hall. Oh, okay. And of course, they, they did like ET and Superman, all sorts of things. They did a lot of Star Trek as well, mostly like the main theme. But hearing that in the Royal Albert Hall was just like shivers. You know, any big theme in a place like that, hearing hearing it play live, is great. Um, yeah, I really like uh, a little song called Beastie Boys Sabotage. That's uh, <laughs> one of my favourites. Well, to be uh, fair, it's now seems to be permeating Star Trek as much as good. Goldsmith's theme. So, like, <laughs> uh, other than that, I mean, yeah, any of uh, Michael's themes from the recent ones as well. I just love what he's done with his kind of theme. Michael, it's got to be done. as if he's a friend of the show, just because we're not sure. He's going to pop in and be like, "Actually, it's Michaela." <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul, what about you? Um, I would probably you know, have to pick something from uh, um, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and uh, yeah, so much useful now. But I'm going to go with the meld, which is the final bit where Decker joins with um, Ilya to become like the new Apple. The music there is stuck. probably on the same page with uh, Goldsmith's score to Star Trek the motion picture um, yeah I mean it is it's that the dry dock music where is it yeah it's sublime um, and it totally makes that movie for me agree with Matt completely that I think Michael's done an incredible job on the uh, JJ films i got to say um, yeah watching them again recently the scores have really stood out I think they're really strong and just completely his own 
thing. And I, I really admire how he doesn't really seem to have taken much influence from the original scores and just kind of done his own thing. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I think the film. I think he's re- also reflects the the films well as well because they are more um, like action movies yes. now, aren't they? Yeah, it's less, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a lot more for him to, to do in a way. It's very much done in the classical style, though. It, it does. We always said like Star Trek, not two thousand nine, makes us feel like our eight year olds again. But mm. I think this was a lot to do with that mm. the adventure of it, the excitement yeah. of it, and the fact is, it could again, it could borderline cheesy, but you kind of just go along with it. It's the thing about the end of Star Wars where you can't help smile when they kind of like get the medals and you know yeah. it's all you know. There's no music. I mean, sorry, there is music. There's no dialogue. And um, you that's can see it without music yeah. on YouTube. And it's it's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just to highlight how little happens in that scene with nobody saying anything. Just like, <laughs> yeah. Um, see also Mick Jagger, David Bowie, uh, <laughs> dancing in the street uh, yes. without music. Uh, but I think that um, I think that Michael brings uh, uh, just a huge amount of emotion to his work. Mm. I really do. I really think it's got massive amounts of poignancy um, in his scores, and yeah, that that really sticks out. And they all stand alone, don't they? Like we were saying, everything from Incredibles to Up to Lost, like Mm. it's very much that thing. It's also very much him. None of them are the same. I think that's the thing that runs through is is that sense of poignancy, that Mm. sense of emotion um, to his music. I think you know he's certainly well read in music. Can be well read music. It's just because um, one of the things that came out in that interview was that he um, used to record films on a tape deck, so he'd listen to them as if they were like radio plays, but listen to music again and again. I think that and the era he's done it is grown up with the Spielberg and Lucas of the early eighties, late seventies, and I think you know that's kind of like how I discovered this. You know, that's how I kind of like if I didn't have a video player in my room, I'd have a tape of stuff to sort of like to listen to. So you can still be the next Michael. is what you're saying? And I have no time. <laughs> like, so I wish I did. I I, that, I think. You know, I've gone through things in my life where I w- wish I had a certain skill, skateboarding and playing the guitar for that future, <laughs> both which, but the other thing is composing. And I just feel like that's such a beautiful thing to be able to do. Not being able to play an instrument, but just be able to kind of think in music mm. sometimes and build something. It's something I admire greatly. And- well, we've got a surprise for you. We've brought Adam here today to give you one-on-one tuition. For <laughs> so as long as it takes. That will be the next like- part of what I suffer about. Coming next week. All 89 parts. <laughs> I, I think Giacchino stands out as well because, uh, I mean, in today's um, sort of world, because he often goes with a purely orchestral approach or, or even if there's other things in there, he uses orchestra. And I think that probably helps give it the heart and the poignancy you're saying. You know, he's all, sometimes his approach to me seems almost kind of old school in a way because it's not, it's, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot of typical... Um, scores which are very influenced by um, electronics and you know the, the aping Hans Zimmer a bit and he kind of seems to do his own thing um, so yeah I, I, I admire that as well well before we say uh, goodbye I kind of feel we've given a good over, little overview there of the kind of music of Trek I mean, very much an overview it's one of those things where it's such an integral part of the franchise over many decades you could talk about it um, for years uh, on, and I believe there are some podcasts that do um, but is there anything special you're working on at the moment and that you can tell us about um, or is it all top secret well it's not that things are top secret but it's just before they're definitely official you sort of think well yeah. should I I mean what am I doing there, there is a there's a there's an arena uh, arena show, um, which I'm working on, which which is called um, well, you know what it's probably because it's, it's not officially. It might be the <laughs> <laughs> time this is finished. Like yeah, 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 yeah. yes. Okay. We'll, we'll have to check. Yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's a there's a really cool arena show called Heaven on Earth, which is uh, a musical about basically it's the creation story. So it's Adam and Eve and wow. um, Paradise, you know, Garden of Eden, and then the fall of mankind and all sorts of things so it's, and it's going to be it appealed to me because it could be such a, a such a um, such a vast sort of um, scope and I felt the music could be really it could be epic in the genuine sense of the word and that these things which happen in it are really like earth changing you know when, when there's the first ever murder and you know the first time when humans lose their innocence and all that stuff and uh, the songs uh, they're all new songs and I thought the way I was pitching pitching it to them is I thought they should be like a Prince of Egypt style thing by hand, you know, the Hans Zimmer score and, and uh, okay. that approach where it could be really big and sort of 
well, biblical, kind of literally, I suppose. But um, yeah, that's something that's something fun, which is uh, I'm going to be doing over the next um, two what, or three months. Would your role be on that? That'll be arranger. Okay. So the songs for the musical are all written by um, another composer called Sarah Sarah Jeffs, and um, that would be yeah, taking them and trying to put them in this realm of um, you know, big orchestral. Uh, sound right wow okay like uh, that sounds very interesting we'll, we'll have to check with you before we release this work and this is officially <laughs> announced um, where can people find you or would you like people to find you like to look for your work or say you've got a website or? Uh, there's a, I've got a website which is in, in dire need of updating but there is, there is adamlangston.com yeah there's a bit of stuff on there but I, that's something I need to uh, work on still got your hit counter at the bar <laughs> <laughs> no no um, animated background <laughs> for us it's just all the usual uh, social media outlets Facebook Instagram Twitter we're on all of them uh, Twitter and Instagram it's at SpotlightPod um, on Facebook just search Spotlight obviously if you could like or follow us um, uh, then you get to hear about all the new things we're doing, like this special supplemental episode, uh, which we'll obviously be talking about on there and lots of little links to different things we talked about on the show. Um, also, you can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, if you could do that, then you'll never miss an episode because we are doing special supplemental episodes like this, which aren't part of the regular series so if you're thinking oh, I only check it once a month just check the new episode you might be surprised you might miss something so make sure you <laughs> subscribe and while you're there give us five stars sure so yeah thanks again to Adam for coming along it's been a really great uh, episode thank you thank you for asking uh, it's been a lot of fun I've enjoyed uh, you know listening to when Matt told me about the podcast I really enjoyed listening to it so yeah I hope you guys keep going until uh you know, this new until, film. Until the, uh, until the question mark Star Trek 4. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have to ask your opinion on the uh, Discovery theme. When, uh, it yeah. is let's, do, let's do a TV music one as well then. Yeah. Star well, Trek TV music. We, we'd love to have you back. It's been fascinating. So, yeah, yeah no, that, that's great. That's, I think we definitely just scratch the surface. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, fine. That's to keep this under five hours, we've done a really good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, certainly, I think you're completely right there because... <laughs> We're a group of non-Trekkies at the end of the day. Matt's never even seen an episode of the bloody TV show. No, um, so the fact is, really, we've been concentrating a lot on the film music today. So that sounds like a great idea. TV music, Spotlight Supplemental, coming soon. Uh, one other thing, you can email us direct at spotlightpod at gmail.com for any messages longer than 140 characters. Michael, um, can you send us just yep. a voice memo <laughs> of how you say your name? on there please that would be great uh, yeah and obviously if you want to come on the show you can do that as well he will allow it (laughs) Uh, I've been Matt Brothers I've been Paul Wilson I've been Adam Langston and I've been Liam Dempsey 